I'm glad that you are with us at our 1130 service, all right? And uh, for those of you who made it out, I know it's a big deal. A lot of people at home with the rain, but you said, not me. I'm getting to church. I'm getting the kids out. If I don't get them to Kids Rock now, then I got 12 hours with them, all right? Like, I know that's what some of y'all are thinking, and that's okay, okay? So I'm glad that you're here. I want to say hello uh, to anybody who's watching online, anybody watching on demand. I want to say hello to uh, those who are listening in Spanish right now, because I know every week we have people who are listening in Spanish. So would you guys give it up for anybody like that who's with us? So really glad that you're there, all right? So... Peyton asked a question, and you either shared with just a person next to you, or maybe you actually got up and went and met somebody new. What is something of worth to you at Christmas? And you might have thought about a gift from when you were a child. You might have thought about some family memories. You might have thought about the fact that family just gets to come home, whatever it is, I want to add a couple other things, okay? Because what you probably mentioned were probably all good things. I want to mention a couple misfits at Christmas that, that the world, for some reason, said that misfit has great worth. Here's one. Tickle me Elmo. This is a weird misfit. You agree? Agree? Okay. I, I guess that's how it works, right? Like, in. So Thursday night, I accidentally said to it, I should probably quit touching you there. Exactly. Like, that's not what you want to say, right? You know what I mean? Like, so now I can make fun of myself. Thursday night, I was like, uh, I didn't mean that. I, like, you know what I mean? But, but this is a weird misfit. Let's just admit it. In 1996, this was the Christmas gift that was worth more than anything else. And I don't know why. I heard a couple of you go, ah, the rest of us went, ooh, that's weird. Because Tickle Me Elmo is weird. But that was 1996. How about this? 1997, Beanie Babies. How many of you all had a Beanie Baby, right? Right, like, like several. Clay was born in 94, so in 97, like we're like, we gotta get him a Beanie Baby for Christmas. Everybody's doing it, we gotta be there. So, like we bought him at several, and now I have Rudolph, all right? So Rudolph is yours, you look so excited about a Beanie Baby, okay? Uh, so, so I had to give that to you, Bree. But, but you know what I mean? Like in, in 96, it was Elmo. In 97, it was Beanie Babies. 98? I don't understand this one. This, this is a Furby, and I think a Furby is straight from Satan. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I don't understand them. Like, they, 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 like they, they're weird. Like, I look at it, I'm like, who would want this in your bedroom at night? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'd be free. But in 1998, this was the hottest Christmas gift ever. I don't get it, but it was. It was worth it something. So, so I can make fun of things like that, or I can go to things that, that to me had great worth. This was last year. Somebody handed me this on Christmas Eve. Now, I know you can't see it, so let me explain it. It is a ticket to the Masters, which is a golf tournament held every April. 
So for me or anybody who understands golf, you'd go, oh, that's, that's a gift worth something, right? It was at our Christmas Eve services. We had like four in a row. And um, the, my, my wife had already gone home after the, the third one. And, and, and this person came up and said, hey, I got you a gift for, for you and Chris. And I was like, awesome. And they hand me this little bag. They're like, go ahead and open it. I'm like, open it right now? They're like, yeah. So I open it. And this is what I pull out. And, and I'm just like, no way. And my jaw like hits the ground right? Like, I'm like, this is the best thing ever. And, and, and so I go home and I tell Chris, I'm like, Krista, you'll never believe what we got for Christmas. She's like, what? And I pulled this out and I showed it to her. She goes, that's awesome. And in the same breath, she goes, and that sucks. I'm like, what? And she goes, nothing you open tomorrow from me will be worth anything compared to that. And she was right. Right? Like, I loved it. It was awesome. But this was worth, wow. Still not the greatest Christmas gift I've ever gotten. Still not the Christmas gift that I would say is worth the most. And nothing that we mention outside of Jesus can take that spot. Because Jesus is the Christmas gift that is worth more than any other thing that we've ever been given. He is worth it all. He's worth it all. And a couple of you agree with me on that, right? That, 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 that's what we think. Thank you, Scarlett. You're with me on that. that. That he is worth it. That in all the other Christmas gifts, they're all great. They all matter. But the gift of Jesus Christ on that first Christmas, that is worth all the others. I can say this, it's worth all the others put together and still more. And I want us to dig into that today. I want us to dig into it from a misfits point of view. Because if you've been with us, that we've been in this series that we're calling Misfits, the Island of Misfit Toys, kind of based off Rudolph. We'll, we'll dig into Rudolph's story a lot next week. But, but, but in it, we've been looking at different misfits. And we've said that God does his greatest and best work through and in misfits. And we talked about Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. Last week, we talked about a lady named Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab is a lady that you would never think about as a, a, a star when it comes to the Christmas story. You would never think about her as somebody who matters in the Christmas story. But without Rahab, the lineage of Jesus would not have been what it was. That God used Rahab, and he used Rahab for this reason. Because she said, God, I'll serve you. The misfit I want to look at today is a guy who said, God, you're worth it. You're worthy of my worship. His name was David. His name actually, we often call him King David. And I know when you think of somebody who's a king, we often don't think misfit. We think of a 16-year-old uh, pregnant out of wedlock, you might have said misfit. You think of, uh, of a guy like Joseph, you might have said misfit. You say Rahab, who's a prostitute, misfit. King David, that, that's not a misfit, right? But he was. And, and I don't have time to go all into his whole biographical uh, study, but let me give you just a little bit to kind of show you how he was a misfit. That there was a time there was a prophet named Samuel who came to David's dad. His name was Jesse. And he said, Jesse, I'm going to anoint one of your sons as the next king of Israel. 
And if that would have been said to you, if somebody would have came to you and said, I'm going to anoint one of your kids as the next king, or let's put it in modern day, I, I want to give $10 million to one of your kids, gather your kids together, and I'll give $10 million to one of them. Like, as a parent, I'm getting all four of my kids, Right? Like, I'm getting everybody together. I'm like, we're we going to get $10 million into our family right now. This is going to be awesome. That's actually not what Jesse did. Jesse heard, gather your sons. I'm going to anoint them as king. And he went and he grabbed most of his sons. He grabbed all of his sons except David. He left David out in the field. And so when Samuel showed up, he saw the first thing. He's like, that's got to be him. Like he's tall, dark, handsome. He looks like a king. But then the spirit of God said to him, that is not the next king. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So then Samuel looked at the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. And and he looked at them all like none of these are going to be the next king. So then he looked back at Jesse. He said, hey, do you have another son? Because none of them are, are, I'm not anointing any of these guys. And Jesse literally says, well, yeah, the runt of the family, you know, David, he's out in the field working with the sheep. Like, like, think about that for a second. If you're David and you get called for and you come home and you're like, what's the big party? Oh, well, the prophet said he wanted to anoint one of, the, one of my, our sons as, as king, but we didn't call you at first. Like, you would immediately go, well, thanks, Dad, right? Like, how does that make you feel? Makes you realize you're a misfit. And I could go on to the rest of his story, but, but just real quickly, like I said, I don't have time to go into it all, but he went to battle David, or Goliath, and he was a misfit on that battlefield, that he was trying to be killed by the king, so that made him a misfit, that, that he had to flee to a foreign country and, and act insane, that made him a misfit. When, when he came back as king, he stepped into sin uh, by, by taking multiple wives and sleeping with a woman who wasn't his wife, and that made him a misfit. It broke his fit with God. So all through David's life, you'll see he's a misfit, yet he found his worth in God. And I want every one of us in this room, I want everybody watching online, I want us to recognize that, that no matter if somebody else calls us a misfit, no matter if we are a misfit because we've broken relationship with God, what we have to realize is that we can find our worth in Jesus because we matter to him that you matter to him. And David did that. David found his worth in God. And we see it all through the book of Psalms. That you could go through and read many of the Psalms because he wrote most of them. And you could see him saying, I just want to be a doorkeeper in the house of God. That I don't want the spirit taken from me. That, That God, you are my rock. You are my salvation. You are my light. You are my shepherd. He found his worth in God. And... He found God to be of worth. And that's where I want us to go for the rest of the message. Like, like I want you to realize your worth in God, and we're going to come back to that. But I really want to spend about 20 minutes talking about, does God have worth to you? Because in David's life, we see him as a guy who looked at God and said, God is of worth. And that's why I worship him. And we're going to actually look at a story where David was worshiping God. And in it, we're going to sing, uh, see how he was singing and playing music. And, and that's an aspect of worship. And we're going to talk about that. But make sure you see it in the light of total worship. 
Worship is more than just singing. It's more than just music. It's about looking uh, towards God and his word. It's about living for him on a daily basis. Worship is all-encompassing. And David recognized that because David said, God, you are of worth, so I want to be in your presence. I just want to be in your presence. And what would it look like over, let's just say not even over our life, not even over this year, not even over the season. Let's just talk about the next seven days till Christmas. What would it look like if you said, for the next seven days, because God is of worth, I just want to be in his presence. Because he's of worth, I just want to be in his presence. When someone has worth, you want to be in their presence, right? I mean, think about your people in your life. My, my, my wife, my kids, my grandkids, like I want to be in their presence. It's the same way with God. If he has worth, then we should want to be in his presence. And David wanted that. So much so that David said, I got to get the ark of God back to Jerusalem because that's where the presence of God resides. Now, that's totally different back then. We're talking 3,000 years ago compared to today. Today we have the Holy Spirit, so the presence of God is always with us. But back then, this was before Jesus came to the earth, this was before he gave us the Holy Spirit, that the presence of God resided in a thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, in short, it's just a box, okay? Like, Like in reality, it's just a box. But it's a box with some very specific instructions. It's a box that God said, I'm going to allow my presence to reside there. Therefore, I want you to treat it very carefully. I want you to cover it in gold. I want you to put some golden cherubim, angels, like statues on it. I want you to put the Ten Commandments in it and a couple other things. And then when you move the Ark of the Covenant, I want you to do it with some poles that I've instructed you to build a certain way because no one can touch the Ark. No one can put the Ark on a cart. You can't carry the Ark with some oxen. You need to carry it with these poles. He gave very specific instructions. Because what he was declaring was, the ark is where my presence resides, and I'm a holy God. And because of that, David's like, I want the presence of God in my town. And years earlier, the ark had been taken during an act of war, and then then the people who took it gave it back to Israel, but they didn't get it all the way back to Jerusalem. And now David's like, I want the presence. God is of worth. I want to be in his presence. I want the ark back in Jerusalem in the city of David. So he says, I'm going to go get it. So he goes and gets it, and then this is where we pick up the story. It says, David... And all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. That basically David and all the men that were with him, they're having a worship service to God. They're celebrating God. They're dancing to God. They're playing instruments. They're all singing. They're having a great time. And the Ark of the Covenant is coming up behind them. But there was a problem. Rather than some men carrying the ark behind David and the people who were celebrating, they thought, well, it'll be easier to get the ark all the way to Jerusalem if we put the ark on a cart and we allow some oxen to pull it. So so here's what's going on. David is saying, like, you got to put the pieces of the puzzle together here. David is saying, I want to be in your presence as long as it's on my terms. And anytime we say, God, I want to be in your presence as long as it's on my terms, 
we've went the wrong direction. Bad things are going to happen. And that's exactly what happened in David's life. He said, God, I want to be in your presence, but I want it on my terms. And my terms is, you ride on the cart. And then look what happens. It says, but when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, which means the cart, you know, jostled. Then the oxen stumbled and Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark of God. All right, it makes sense that, that Uzzah's walking beside the cart, the oxen stumble, the cart uh, starts to stumble, that, that the, the Ark of the Covenant starts to slide maybe, so he reaches up his hand as an act of like, I can't let the Ark hit the ground, but he forgot something. The Ark represented the presence of God, and God had given them instructions, if you touch the Ark, you will die. And sure enough, as soon as Uzzah touched it, he died. Look at the next verse. It says, Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. And when Uzzah died, David got mad. He's like, God, how dare you do this? You just killed him, and, and this isn't right. So he took the ark and said, I don't want it in Jerusalem, and put it in a house in that area of a guy named Obed-Edom. Now, I'm going to get back to Obed-Edom in a second, but let's first just talk about what David did. Now, in a good way, he said, God, you are of worth, and I want to be in your presence. But in a bad way, he said, as long as it's on my terms. And we've got to make sure that we are longing to get into the presence of God, but we're doing it on his terms and in his way and that we're not walking in disobedience. And I think too many times we as Christ's followers, for those of us who have said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, I think too many times I've done this, you've done this, that we've come to an act of worship with God and we've put it on our terms. Whether that's I'll go to church on my terms. I'll, I'll, I'll sing on my terms if they play the song I like. That I'll give on my terms. I'll serve on my terms. And we actually walk in disobedience as we worship. And that makes God mad. And then we, we get mad when the consequences of sin hit. That because of our own sin, a consequence hit. And we're like, God, why is this happening? Well, I'll tell you why it might be happening. It's because we were walking in sin. I was talking to Josh Phillips, who's one of our campus pastors, and he reminded me of this text, that God desires obedience over sacrifice. God desires obedience over sacrifice. So let's long to be in his presence. Let's claim him worthy, that he is of worth going in his presence, but let's do it in a God-honoring way. And David ended up recognizing that. Like I said, he put the ark in the house of Obed-Edom, and, and then after it was in Obed-Edom's house, Obed-Edom got blessed. And when I mean blessed, it says that the Lord blessed the entire household of Obed-Edom. Like, like we might say down here in the south that he was getting his socks blessed off. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like they were being blessed. And, and Obed, like, he's like, this is great. Well, why was he being blessed? Because where the presence of the Lord is, there's blessing, especially when you're walking in obedience. 
Well, David saw that and he's like, I remember why I want to be in the presence of God. And I got to go get the ark and bring it to Jerusalem. And this time when he went, he did this. He went all in. And so that's this kind of second thing I try to encourage you with today is find God of worth, that he's worth so much that you say, I want to be in your presence. And recognize that God is of worth, so I'm willing to go all in. And David went all in the second time. That he went up there and they went to Obed-Edom's house and they put the poles in the ark like they were supposed to. And then they started carrying the ark like they were supposed to. And then they stopped and they worshiped. Look at this text. It's verse 13. It says, when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And I don't know why David took six steps and then did the offering. But, but whatever reason... He stopped, and he said, we need to offer to the Lord right now. We need to sacrifice to the Lord right now. We need to recognize the presence of the Lord right now, and we need to go all in. And then here's where the story gets pretty crazy. Here's the next part of the story. It says, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While all of Israel was bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. That David was violently dancing. That David was dancing with everything that he has. I've said in a couple of the earlier services, there's a lady who attends our church. Her name is Lou. That she sits in the front row and she dances violently. Anybody ever been in a worship service with Lou? All right, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're not careful, Lou will kick you when you walk by because she's all in, all right? And I told her this Thursday night when she was in service, so she heard me say all this, that, that she is all in with the Lord. She is, she is there. And, and maybe you've been like that. Maybe you've been like, no, I, I don't dance. But some of us have been to sporting events, and it's been a tight game, and it's coming to the end, and our team scores, and what do we do? We all stand up, we shout, we clap, we're slapping high fives, popcorn's going everywhere, beer's going everywhere, like people are celebrating. I mean, not your beer. That was a joke. Um, it wasn't funny. But, um, but you get what I'm saying, that, that we'll celebrate, we'll go all in. Will you do that with God? See, David was dancing violently. He was all in. But it just wasn't in the way he was dancing. It was in his humility. You see, the verse says this. He was wearing a linen ephod. That basically means his undergarments. That, that he had taken off his king's robes and he was presenting himself in a way that is not fitting of a king. Right? I don't think the linen ephod, I don't, think, I don't want you to think like underwear, but I want you to think undergarment. That it was an undergarment that he would have been wearing underneath his king's robe. And what he did is he took his king's robe off. I don't know how, I don't know when. It could have been while he was dancing, he got hot and he threw it off to his side. Could have been. I don't think that's when it was though. My guess is as soon as they got done offering sacrifices, this is my guess that he took off his king's robes 
And he says, there's only one king that I want to acknowledge today, and it's the king whose presence resides in the ark. So I am humbling myself and acknowledging the king of the universe. And what would it look like if we started doing that? If we said, I'm going to humble myself. Not everybody will like it. Because it means that you're going to live different than others. David's wife didn't like it. Literally, the the next verse reads like this. It says, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. When, When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. That David's wife was upset. And I don't think it was because he, she, he was just leaping and dancing. I believe she despised him in her heart because he had taken off the king's robe. You got to remember Michael. She was the daughter of Saul. So she had lived her entire life in a palace. She'd lived her entire life on this like high level. That, that there was a, a proper way to act. And now she is the queen. She is the the wife of the current king. And she's like, this is how we live. But David had taken off the king's robe and looked like a common servant. And she's like, that's not how we act. So when David got home, he got the look. Guys, you know that look I'm talking about. Ladies, you know that look you do, right? Brian, you, you, you ever got that look? You know, okay, so you with me on this one? You know that look? It's like, this is actually what she said. Oh, how you distinguished yourself today amongst the young maidens. And then David replied with this. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. That David is saying, the king is the one who reigns over heaven and earth, and I will bow down and humble myself before him. I'm going all in with the king, and I'm giving him everything I have, no matter what anybody else is doing. That's how we should live our lives. That we should say, God, I'm all in. I give it all to you. My life, no matter what's going on in this world, I am bowing down before you and you alone. Like the wise men. See, in the Christmas story, the wise men, sometimes we call them wise men, sometimes we call them magi, sometimes we call them kings. We don't know exactly what they were, but we know they were men of position. We know that they were men who understood prophecies, and we know they were men of great wealth. Because they saw the star, they went to Jerusalem. From there, they find themselves at Bethlehem. And then these three men, or I shouldn't say three. We don't know exactly how many. We assume three because there was three gifts. That, that we see that these men of position, these men of wealth, bow down in front of a baby. They go before a baby and, and they say, you're the king. What would it look like in our lives if we said, God, you are of worth, so I want to be in your presence. God, you are of worth, 
So I'm going to humble myself and go all in. And God, you are of worth. I'm going to give and I'm going to give generously. See, see we, we can't miss this part of David's story. We can't miss this part of the worship experience. Because in his worship experience, that he did want to be in the presence of God, that he did want to humble himself, but he also gave and he gave generously. Well, let me go back to the text. It reads like this. This would have been before he went up um, uh, to his room and where his wife was. He said, after he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of the Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. That, that David gives us a recipe, a pattern, a way that we should give to God. That as an act of worship, as part of his worship, that he didn't just bow down, he didn't just sing songs, but he also gave. That it says that he offered sacrifices to God. And he offered sacrifices to God first. Then once he was done sacrificing and giving to God, then he turned around and he blessed the people. That, that he gave out cakes and raisins and, and all those things. And, and I want you to see this recipe God gives us. That if we will give to God first, he will make sure that we have enough to bless others second. It's a pattern, a recipe that we see there. It's a pattern, it's a recipe that we see with Jesus. That when these wise men came and they bowed down before Jesus, they gave gold and frankincense and myrrh. They were giving to the king. They were giving to God. And out of that, they used it to help people. Now, the people they specifically helped was Jesus, Mary, and Joseph because they had to flee to Egypt um, for safety because the king was trying to kill them, all right? But I want you to see, they gave to God because Jesus is God, and then out of that, people get blessed. It's a recipe we see with David, it's a recipe we see with Jesus, and it's a recipe that still works today. That we give to God first, and then out of that, we're able to bless others. But the problem is, many of us, we don't give to God. That we love the worship service, we love worshiping him, but when it comes to that, that, that aspect of giving, we stop. And I've heard many reasons why. Well, you know, um, I don't have enough money. I, I, I'll get to it later. There's all, all kinds of reasons. But this is what I think. And this is what I'm willing to be recorded saying. I don't think... Or a better way of saying it. I think the reason we don't give to God is because he isn't of worth to you. Or at least I could say it this way. I think the reason we don't give is because he's not as worth as much as other things. That we'll give to our car through a car payment, but not to God. 
So what you're really saying is, my car is worth more than God. I, I'm, I, I, I pay my mortgage, or I pay my rent, or I, I paint my apartment, or I buy a new couch, so my house is worth more than God. Oh, let's take it down a couple notches. Oh, like I got Netflix, I got Hulu, I got Disney Plus, so my entertainment is worth more than God. That, that I, I, I got to get some Chick-fil-A. I mean, it's Christian chicken. Isn't that tithing? No. My Chick-fil-A, my Dunkin', my, my Krispy Kreme, my McDonald's, whatever it might be, is worth more than God. That, that my hobbies, my golf, my hunting, my fishing, my shopping is worth more than God. That if we're not giving God anything, then what we're saying is everything is worth more than God. And we got to flip that script. we got to flip that script like David did. See, David flipped it. Remember at first, he's like, I want to be in your presence as long as it's on my terms. And his disobedience got somebody killed. But he later, he flipped the script and he said, no more, God, not on my terms. I want to be in your presence, but I'm going to obey you and I'm going on your terms. He, your terms, he, he flipped the script and he went all in and he gave to the Lord generously. And God's done that for us. See, Jesus flipped the script for us. Think about it for a second, that Jesus was in heaven but he looked down and he saw our plight. He saw that we had become misfits, that we would gotten out of a perfect fit with God because of sin. And Jesus left heaven and he came to this earth and he brought his presence on that very first Christmas. He said, you matter. You are worth me coming. So he brought his presence so that we could be together. But he didn't stop there. He didn't just say, you're worth my presence. He said, you're worth me going all in. Because then Jesus went all in on God's plan. Man, he could have said no. He could have said not this way. He could have said, we got to figure out a different way. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus went all in through God's plan. And he took the crown. He took the flogging. He took the nails, he took the cross, and he died for each of us and said, you're worth it. You're worth my presence, you're worth me going all in, and you're worth me giving generously of my life, of my forgiveness, of my grace, and of all eternity. That's what Jesus did. He flipped the script. And he said, you are of worth. Will we do the same? And will we say, I'm finding my worth in you? And more than that, God, you are of great worth to me. We're going to go into a time of response. And I'm going to invite you to go ahead and stand with me and I want to invite you during this time, worship him because he is of great worth. 
And you might worship him by taking communion. You might come up and get that, that piece of bread and that cup of juice and get down on your knees and say, Jesus, thank you that I am, I am worth something to you. But Jesus, I want you to know you are worth everything to me. And take communion. Maybe you need to pray with somebody. There's going to be some prayer counselors right back there in our Connect Corner. And we would love just to pray over you on whatever is going on in your life. That you would just give that up to God. Maybe for you today is the day to get baptized. I know well, one young lady who's, who said, Mom, today's the day. And she's going to take that step. And baptism is an act of humility where what happens when you're getting baptized, you're, you're basically saying that, that I'm dying to myself and I'm going to come up and live anew in Christ. He is worthy of our worship. So let's worship on his terms, not ours. Why don't you sing along and let's worship. So-